This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer. Worldwide, I'm Libby Snymer. Ontario's securities laws don't protect Zoomers. That is the word from CARP's Vice President of Advocacy, Wanda Morris. And coming up, she'll give us a debrief after a week of talks with officials on what has to change. Plus, brothers separated by a world war thousands of miles and many decades are reunited in a critically acclaimed film that premiered at the recent Hot Docs Festival. Ida's Secret details generations of contemporary history and family drama that concludes with an emotional reunion. Today I'll be joined by brothers Isaac Schwartz and Shep Schell, along with the filmmaker who is also Isaac's nephew, Alon. We'll discuss the unraveling of the family mystery and why the story does not end there. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, Canadian senators heard an emotional appeal to reject the Trudeau government's medical assistance dying legislation in its current form. It came from Maureen Taylor, an assisted dying advocate whose late husband, Dr. Donald Lowe, called for its legalization in a videotaped appeal just days before his death in 2013. Taylor said senators are the last hope for those suffering intolerably who won't qualify for an assisted death under the proposed new law. She begged the upper house to insist on at least one amendment that would delete the provision that a person's natural death be reasonably foreseeable. That would make the law applicable to people suffering from diseases such as multiple sclerosis, Huntington's disease, and Parkinson's. The Supreme Court has given Parliament until June the 6th to have a law in place. A 72-year-old woman in India has given birth to a baby boy. This week, Daljinder Kaur and her 79-year-old husband welcomed their first child after 46 years of marriage. Kaur said the couple was overjoyed at finally having a baby after enduring years of taunts in a country where infertility is sometimes seen as a curse from God. The child was conceived after two years of IVF treatment. The pregnancy was not without criticism. Some doctors raised concerns over the age of the parents and the physical stress pregnancy takes on a woman's body. Ida Keeling may not be as famous as Usain Bolt or Donovan Bailey, but her accomplishments in track and field may be even greater. Keeling raced in and set a record in the 100 metres for the fastest time by a centenarian. Here's what she says her secret is. Love yourself and also eat for nutrition, not for taste. Do what you need to do, not what you want to do. That you get some kind of exercise at least 10 or 15 minutes every day. 
What may be even more impressive is that Keeling didn't start running until she was 67. And I'll be there, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a friend. Folk music legend James Taylor will be using the proceeds of a couple of concerts in Alberta next month to help the relief effort in Fort McMurray after the devastating wildfire there. Taylor announced this week that all the money earned from shows in Calgary and Edmonton in June will go directly to the Canadian Red Cross. He said the idea came to him in conversations with his Canadian manager, Sam Feldman, when he arrived in the country for a 15-date Canadian tour. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. We all know about the kind of financial fraud that comes under the rubric of elder abuse. But what about seniors who suffer after they make investments that are just not in their best interest? It happens often because of misguided investment advice. CARP's vice president of advocacy says the problem is that the law doesn't go far enough to protect Zoomers. Wanda Morris came by to talk about what she has been telling our lawmakers. One of the issues is that just about anybody can sell securities. The the requirements for entrance are are very low. And so you have a lot of individuals that are selling securities to seniors uh, without training and without uh, professional credentials. This is really leaving uh, Zoomers and CART members at risk. I thought you had to at least pass the Canadian securities course. You do, but that's a pretty low barrier to entry. Uh, when you consider that uh, that we're trusting people, that many times Zoomers are trusting people with their life savings and uh, giving them the chance to give them investment advice that will determine whether they have uh, enough money to live in dignity through retirement or, or potentially uh, struggle for years or even decades, I think they need a little bit more than a three-month part-time course. But I think even more important than that is the fact that there is currently no duty for for uh, an advisor to make sure that a senior is getting or anybody is getting an investment that's in their best interest. Uh, There's a very loose requirement for something called a suitability test, uh, but there's a chasm between an investment being suitable and it being in the best interest of an individual. Well, yeah, generally um, what happens is you get a little form to fill out to say what kind of an investor are you? Do you want things to be safe? Are you willing to take risks? Uh, the know your client form is is what it you know and and there are issues around how those are filled out but in any case i think there's a, a lack of explanation often that goes with that you know it's very interesting i talk to financial advisors people considered experts often and one of the things that they've been saying over the last few years with such a low interest rate environment is that uh really uh you know seniors zoomers who say they don't want to take any risk are are basically losing money because of that and that in this low interest rate environment, you have to be willing to take on risk or you're not going to get any returns. Well, nobody has to take on risk. And I think that is, you know, certainly one of the tensions in the system that that people may want to be getting 8 or 10 or 12% so that they can live more comfortably. 
perhaps without realizing that those kind of percents are now uh, in the range of a very speculative and extremely high risk investments. And unfortunately, you know, I know we have CARP members who have uh, been led astray by their advisors into ill-advised investments, thinking that they were going to get that 10 and 12 percent and instead uh, ending up with their assets frozen and no return whatsoever. How much responsibility lies with the clients, with the Zoomers who kind of just, you know, aren't really accepting the reality of it, which is if you want your money safe, it's really not going to grow. Well, I think those are really hard conversations that financial advisors need to be having with their clients and a financial advisor that clearly takes their duty to their clients um, to heart is not going to allow their client to make, you know, a client who said they have a low risk tolerance to make an investment, for example, in speculative real estate. What would you like specifically to be changed? So, so one of the things that CARP is asking for is uh, is a best interest standard so that uh, advisors are recommending investments that not pay the highest commission but that are actually in the best interest of, of their clients. Another thing that, that CARP is uh, pursuing is the idea of having uh, proper credentials for investment advisors. We've also for a long time been calling for disclosure so that uh, investors are actually aware of the money that they're paying to their, uh, whether we call them advisors or salespeople. There are certifications for financial advisors. I guess they just aren't mandatory. That is correct. And so the, you know, the certifications certainly uh, provide a higher level of, of comfort, of, of responsibility. Another critical way that investors can look after themselves is by going to a, a fee-for-service I was advisor. just going to, I, that when I was a business reporter, that was one of the things that was always hammered home. If you want somebody to work in your interest, then you pay their fee as opposed to letting uh, the mutual fund company. But a lot of people, again, don't want to do that. There's a, a wonderful article written by a fellow by the name of Stephen Kerr called, you know, On the Folly of Rewarding A While Hoping for B. And I think that really captures in a nutshell what happens with our investment system today. But even in the instances where you have an advisor and you pay that individual, for example, by the hour or a set percentage of, of your assets and think that your interests are aligned, they may still be getting a commission uh, if they refer you to someone else who's selling you products. So it's really fraught, and we need to change the regulations. I mean, it's all well and good to have a market that uh, attracts global capital, but if that market uh, happens on the back of seniors who are being exploited, that's not good enough. Okay. Thanks, Wanda. Thanks so much. I've been speaking with Wanda Morris, the Vice President of Advocacy and COO of CARP. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, I'll be joined by two brothers who spent a lifetime apart, unaware of each other's existence. Their reunion was featured in a film that screened at Hot Docs, and we'll learn why their story doesn't have an ending yet. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. She never hurt anybody. She never yelled at anyone or anything like that. You could trust her with anything. We could feel that she was very secret. She didn't want to talk. They're talking about Ida, the woman at the center of the film, Ida's Secret. As a child, filmmaker Alon Schwartz had heard that his uncle Isaac had a blind brother in Canada. 
It was a secret that he was ordered never to reveal, especially not to his uncle Isaac. He made this film decades later as the secret unraveled and the brothers reunited. I sat down with Alon Isaac and his brother, Shep Shell of Winnipeg, after the film's premiere at Hot Docs. Isaac, you were born in the Bergen-Belsen Displaced Person Camp in 1945. Uh, what, two years later, you were sent to Israel to be adopted, correct? Someone from the kids told me one day, when I was, I think, 11 years old, he told me, you know, they're not your family. They're not your parents. I was shocked. I ran at home. I asked my mother. They said, yes, you are not our son, and you have a mother in Canada. And it was a big cry. From this time, it was connecting with my mother with letters. The first time I met my mother, it was about mitzvah. 13 years, 13 years old. old. And she came to Israel to my bar mitzvah. Okay, let's turn now to Shep. So, Shep, what's your story? My story is that I was born outside of Brigham Belson in the DP camp in 1946, September 23rd. There's a story I've been told is that at some point I was placed in an orphanage, and I was in an orphanage for approximately two years till a lady who my father later married, my stepmother, uh, who converted to Judaism, she took care of me in the orphanage. At the age of about three and a half to four, my father went to Canada and opened uh, space for us. And in 1950, I emigrated with my stepmother and my stepbrother on a ship to Halifax. We went through Pier 21, caught a train and came to Winnipeg, Manitoba. And uh, that was home. But you were not aware that this was your stepmother, were you? Not at all. I didn't find out about my family situation till there was a major um, family uh, dispute. And uh, I was told at the age of 16 in a very, very highly charged uh, emotional environment that <laughs> she wasn't my real mother, which absolutely shattered me. Okay, now did either of you have any idea that you had a brother? Not a clue. No, I had presumed that my real mother probably was dead and that there was no other family issue. Sometimes I ask her, Mommy, who is my father? So she said to me, he was a good man. Don't talk about him. That was all. She never mentioned it. I have another brother. Or she has another boy. Never, never. Uh, and ultimately, we uh, located a family tree online that Melanie, Shep's daughter, had put on years before. You know, and it was very quickly after that that we flew over and uh, had their reunion for the two brothers. What was <laughs> your reaction when you found out that not only did you have a mother, but she was in Montreal? That was even more surprising that my mother... For those years, for all those years, was two hours away from me. And she didn't know that either. And she didn't know it. But finding Isaac was like winning a gold medal in the Olympic Games. 
I was thrilled that I have my own family. I have flesh and blood of my own. I have nieces and nephews, and I have grandnieces and nephews, and I feel I felt a lot more complete. And I felt for my mother that it closed a circle. Isaac and I walked into the room, and Isaac said, I have something to tell you, Mom. Here's your son, Shepsula. And I, I, like, I can't see, so I don't know what the expressions were on her face. But uh, she looked at me and she said, you know, my Shepsula, my Shepsula, oh, you know, you're here, you, whatever. I can't really remember the, it was so, high, so highly charged emotionally. And uh, that's how I met my mother. Ida never gave up her secret, but a DNA test revealed that the brothers have different fathers, likely the reason they were separated. And then, another secret. Ida was pregnant again when she came to Canada, and she gave birth to another brother in 1949. We have information that uh, there uh, was a third brother. We think he was born by the name of George Zasadzinska, which was uh, Ida's birth family name, Zasadinska, and the birth date is April 3rd, 1949. Well, Isaac and I were speaking about it, and as we said, at this point, we were very happy just to have found each other. But now that we know that there's a third sibling out there that is part of us, we felt that it would be very, very important that we attempt to connect with this brother, George, and make it a whole family with no loose connections. So please consider calling us, talking to us. I live in Winnipeg. Isaac lives in Israel. Either way, contact us. We will be only too happy to talk to you. We love you. Again, Isaac and Shep are searching for their brother. His birth name was George Zasadzinska. He was born on April 3, 1949. They believe he was adopted at the age of 18 months and grew up in Toronto. If you have any leads, you can email us at zwir at zoomerradio.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. One of the world's most beloved musical artists celebrated a birthday this week. In just a moment, we'll return with the music of Stevie Wonder. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book, tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Just opened at the Harvey Lichtenstein Theater in Brooklyn, David Hare's The Judas Kiss, following an acclaimed run on London's West End. The drama focuses on Wilde in his later years, racked by scandal and unable to end his self-destructive relationship with his young lover. 
Reopening this weekend, the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art after a three-year closure. The museum now boasts seven floors with art collected from a four-year donation drive. In Moscow, it's the premiere of a new version of the fairy tale opera The Magic Lamp of Aladdin at the Bolshoi Theater. The production involves almost the entire state academic Bolshoi company. And in Rome, you can take advantage of the sunset door opening at the Vatican Museums every Friday night until the end of July. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, the one and only Stevie Wonder celebrated his 66th birthday. For decades, he's been one of the world's most beloved musical artists. His career started in the 1960s when he was just 11 years old and auditioned as a singer for Barry Gordy of Motown Records. He was signed on the spot. Since that day, Stevie Wonder has recorded 23 studio albums, had more than 30 top 10 hits, and received 25 Grammy Awards, the most ever awarded to a male solo artist. Right now, we'll hear one of his upbeat number one hits. From 1970, here is Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours. That was Stevie Wonder with Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours. Stevie celebrated his 66th birthday this week. And this brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thank you for joining me today. Remember, our email address is zwir at zoomerradio.ca. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.